one monk who constantly, you know, refused to participate in anything in the community, you know, was always going off by himself, saying, I want to be alone, I want to be alone, I'm being alone, you know, the Buddha says, be alone, I'm being alone. And the rest of the community came to, you know, complain to the Buddha, you know, like, like this monk just won't, won't take part in this community living, you know. And is this really what aloneness means? And the Buddha answered, he said, this isn't aloneness. He says, to learn not to grasp after anything in the past, to learn not to lean upon anything in the future, to learn not to cling to anything in the present, that this is what it means to be alone. I think truly understanding the non-grasping, the non-clinging, the non-dwelling mind, we really do get a powerful sense about both aloneness and intimacy. And really begin to understand that not clinging, not grasping is a key of understanding that releases us from fear. That we don't grasp, even hold of fear. This search for refuge, you know, the search for refuge is such a way from fear. We may also not lean upon other people so much. We may not lean upon things. We may have learnt these lessons in our lives. In other subtle ways, we might find ourselves seeking refuge in roles or identities uh, that can be quite subtle. You know, to be someone in this world is often felt to be safe. You know how often when we meet someone, one of the first questions we ask or get asked is, what do you do? You know, like, what do you do? Not who are you, what do you do? You know, and this is, it's such a difficult question, you know? It's like doing defines us, being someone defines us. And that can be so subtle, can't it? You know, some years ago, I was in a time when I, I actually had been working quite hard and I was very tired. And it was the first time actually in, well, actually maybe the first time that I could remember that I, I we went as a family on, on vacation, on holiday. This was a totally new experience, you know, and they don't give lessons about how to be on vacation. They're supposed to know how to do this. Anyway, I found myself in this, you know, quite lovely place. And yet it was strange, you because know, the first day, you know, I found myself kind of sitting beside this pool, you know, on the end of my deck chair with my back upright. <laughs> and I thought, you know, it sort of felt strange. I mean, anybody, but nobody else was doing this, you know. <laughs> and then I realized, like, I was waiting for someone to come and ask me for an interview. You know, like I was thousands of miles away from where anybody knew. I was waiting for somebody to come and ask me for an interview or to see if somebody needed something, you know. Is that a kind of subtlety of who we are can be so, so subtle, actually. We can be the kind of person, you know, we see ourselves in life as always looking after people, caring for people. We might be the sort of institutionalized leader of every group, you know, the the life and soul of the party, the one who has to make other people smile. We might be the kind of traditional listener, or we might be the patient. So, you know, we might even be the meditator. That might be our role, too. And there can be a kind of pseudo-safety in this very familiar territory where it doesn't feel like the risks are so many. 
But it's a very fragile sense of safety, of course, like all of those refuges that aren't so reliable. These roles, too, and these identities so often can crumble. We're really not asked in this path to find a place in our lives or in ourselves where there's no fear. We're not asked to reach a destination where fear never arises, as if, or not to think of fear as being some kind of spiritual failure. We're not asked to make the non-arising of fear into another should. I mean, if you've been deeply hurt by someone, then it's very possible and very likely that when you encounter that person or, or experience that has been very hurtful in the past, that there will be fear that arises when you meet them again. If you've had a very painful physical experience, you know, if you've been very ill, if you've had a very painful emotional experience, it may happen, and it probably will happen, that fear will return. You know, if you've been really in the grip of some incredibly intense and difficult emotional, psychological storm, of course there may be some apprehension about repeating it. But we need to see that the arising of fear is not really a problem. It is another one of the seasons of our emotions, another one of the winds that go through us. The arising of fear is not a problem. I think it is a response that is truly significant. This year, um, having learned how to be on vacation, I did it again. And this year, I went somewhere where one of the things that you know was uh, kind of quite encouraged was to do this thing of go swimming with dolphins. You know, and when you hear that, I know some people hear that swimming with dolphins, and they get all kind of soft and mushy inside. You know, like this is really oh, this is like one of those dreamlike experiences. You know. And it kind of got sold that way, you know, like this is a once-in-a-lifetime event, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it's a sort of transcendent experience. So I thought, hey, what the hey, you know, let's go swim with dolphins, you know. So it was quite interesting, you know, because, I mean, this was an open place, you know, like these dolphins seemed to like doing this. They could come and go. So environmentally it seemed correct and all that stuff. So I got in the water with these dolphins, you know. And and I have to say, I have to be quite honest and say it wasn't that ecstatic. You know, it wasn't actually, I didn't find it that transcendent an experience. I was probably, you know, I'm probably much too an insensitive type person, but it was nice. It was nice. It was a lot of fun, you know. And they were swimming away in this warm water, you know, and these dolphins, you know, swimming away with you, you know, you're turning with them. I thought, hey, this is pretty, you know, this is pretty far out. And then the dolphin bit me. <laughs> Which is quite interesting experience. So I was kind of, this, I was actually quite far out in the water, you know, like the shore was not an accessible option. So I was quite far out in the water and uh, treading water and bleeding into the water. Quite vigorous, fairly vigorous, I and mean, I don't want to exaggerate, but there was definitely more than just like a hint of blood. It was definitely bleeding, and I looked at this dolphin swimming away from me, and then I looked at it coming towards me again with its mouth open. <laughs> <laughs> I saw these rows of really big teeth, you know, 
I remembered the dolphins are not vegetarian, for one thing, you know. And I only had this thought, shark, you know, like, what is going to happen here? And kind of, yes, there was definitely fear, you know. I mean, I could not outswim this thing, you know. And it was hundreds of pounds. I mean, these are huge animals, you know. So, you know, there wasn't actually that many options. You know, there wasn't really many options except to turn around and wait. <laughs> just wait. And, you know, here it was coming, you know. And just to see what was happening. And after, you know, definitely there was some fear there. You know, it didn't bite me again. I have to, I have to say I did have some resistance when it tried to kiss me in the face. You know, <laughs> and visions of my head disappearing, you know. But, you know, it didn't like, it was just that interesting experience of just kind of really, kind of, well, treading water there, you know, with that sense of fear, and yet that, that kind of, okay, there's nothing else to do here. There really isn't any other choice. It's interesting the way that we can experience that, that we can experience fear of anger. And sometimes we delude ourselves into thinking there's lots of other choices. You know, like I should get rid of this, or I could get, you know, swim away from it, you know, I could make it into something different, or I could pretend it's not happening. But we kind of delude ourselves into thinking there's these other choices. But in a way, it's not really other choices, isn't it? Because it doesn't really transform anything. And I, I don't feel like the, the arising of fear is really an issue at all. It is kind of more the question is how much we consent to fear really being a kind of guiding force in our actions and choices and responses. How much we endow it with the authority to imprison us. And whether we can turn towards it to really know actually what is wise fear and where we need to release it. In this practice, I regard fear, certainly, as a passageway between what we know and what we don't know. It's a passageway between what is familiar territory and untraveled ground. And certainly in the quest of freedom and understanding and depth, we are really invited to walk that passageway into unknown territory again and again. And to really look at what is the ground. What is the origin of that fear? What, it, what is it that keeps us always wanting to stay in what we know and what is familiar? And we see it's a kind of belief, isn't it? It's a kind of belief that keeps us there. Basically, the, the kind of origin of fear seems to lie in this belief that we carry about, about this separated self, living in a world of many separate selves, that are not always perceived as being benevolent. And it seems like every other dimension of fear, you know, is rooted in this single unquestioned belief of separation, of this separated self, and that so much comes from it in terms of competitiveness and compensation, the fear of loss. And really do think that that belief of a separate self, a belief of separation, is a belief that we very carefully examine in this practice. And we experience that when we live in this, this world of seemingly the separate self, we hardly ever really feel safe. If safety feels like such an elusive phenomenon, 
that we often feel like we live in a frightening and unsafe world that we have to guard against or defend against. It's not to say that danger or pain is an illusion. I mean, certainly, you know, if you've ever been in a situation that is truly threatening, you know, you wouldn't think of turning towards a mugger and saying, oh, you're just an illusion. You know, fear is not the same as discriminating wisdom. But there's, there's, there is the need for discriminating wisdom, but that, that doesn't mean not investigating these other dimensions of fear that are so deeply rooted in this sense of separation and who I believe myself to be. So much time is spent trying to be safe in ways that can't offer us safety. You know, how much in our lives we grow up with this mantra of be careful rather than be wise. And, you know, the world doesn't feel very safe often. Recently, someone gave me, you know, there's a lot of people spend time gathering statistics in this world. And recently, somebody gave me this survey that was done a couple of years ago in the emergency rooms of American hospitals. And surveying what kind of injuries people came in with. And some of the most amazing statistics came up. Do you know that in that year in America, 50,000 people were injured severely enough to warrant hospital treatment by pencil, pens, and desk accessories? <laughs> That's incredible, isn't it? I mean, 400,000 people were injured by their beds and their mattresses and their pillows. And 142,000 people were injured in that one year by their own clothes. Now this, of course, none of this would be a joke to any of these people that it happened to, you know. But you can imagine if we sense that there's such danger that lurks in our socks and our underwear and our pillows, then no, it's no wonder but we sense this other much bigger danger that lies in wait in the world of people and experiences and events, even from our own body, mind, and heart. So it's not really surprising that so much time and energy goes into trying to protect ourselves, not always seeing that the ways that we protect ourselves, of course, are also the ways that we can imprison ourselves. And, you know, meditation is a path that really directly challenges these beliefs about self and other, about the dualities we make, that uh, even the duality between aloneness and intimacy. Meditation is a path that really invites us to discover a way of being where we're not governed by fear, but by freedom, a freedom found in understanding that fear is maybe not intrinsic to living. Instead of following pathways of seeking inauthentic or unreliable refuges that do crumble, we turn attention, we turn a very gentle, calm attention to explore where we get hope, where we spend our time, where we spend our time in our mind and heart, and to learn to release some of these places that really do not offer us an authentic sanctuary. And we're learning this all the time in practice, you know, even in the simplest ways all the time in practice, aren't we? We're learning about how to let go, 
how to let go of dwelling, how to let go of your will, how to let go of construction. We're learning how to release ourselves, learning how not to rely upon anything, not to depend upon anything, not to define ourselves by anything. That's the great art of this practice, to allow a thought just to be a thought, a breath just to be a breath, that when we sit, we just sit, when we walk, we just walk, when we listen, we just listen. And sometimes to our surprise in this exploration of letting go, we don't discover anxiety. We don't discover that we get more lost and more confused. Instead, often we discover a very profound joy and steadiness and wholeness. Fear comes. It comes to visit. We become intimate with it. It's too embraced in stillness. We come to know all its textures and its tones in our bodies, in our feelings, in our thoughts. Instead of running with fear, trying to avoid it or camouflage it, we learn to embrace it, like all the other appearances that move and change and shift within us. We learn to befriend it. And in that, I think we are fearless. Understanding that fearlessness is not the absence of fear but the unwillingness to delegate authority to it. And we discover aloneness. You know, it's not austere, it's not isolated, it's not hard. In fact, it's extraordinarily intimate and connected. And, connected. and you know, in stillness, we untangle. We learn the lessons of untangling some of the kind of knots of confusion and separation and isolation. In aloneness, we learn how to be generous towards ourselves. We learn how to accept. We learn how to love. We learn how to bring compassion. We find ourselves actually no longer so willing to abandon ourselves. And I think we really do understand that there's no more precious refuge than that which we can find in not abandoning anything and not leaning on anything. In stillness, I think we do really learn the lessons both of aloneness and intimacy. The poem I, I wanted to share with you to end is called The Buddha's Last Instruction. Make of yourself a light, said the Buddha before he died. I think of this every morning as the east begins to tear off its many clouds of darkness, to send up the first signal, a white fan, streaked with pink and violet, even green. An old man, he lay down between two solid trees, and he might have said anything, knowing it was his final hour. The light burns upward. It thickens and settles over the fields. Around him, the villagers gathered and stretched forward to listen, even before the sun itself hangs disattached in the blue air, untouched everywhere by its ocean of yellow waves. No doubt, he thought of everything that had happened in his difficult life. 
And then I feel the sun itself as it blazes over the hills like a million flowers on fire. Clearly, I'm not needed. Yet I feel myself turning into something of inexplicable value. Slowly beneath the branches, he raised his head. He looked into the faces of that frightened crowd. If we could just take a couple of moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.